0: at motivation our vision is to create a place where transformation is a positive personal and social experience brought to life through movement and community through connectivism we can share knowledge and make system level changes thank you for connecting and joining us today. We will be wrapping up this episode with questions from our group. Stay tuned.
1: The Motivation Station. Welcome to The Motivation Station, where we take a deep dive into what it's like living with the condition of Parkinson's disease. We'll get down and dirty with our guests, give you an insight into what their life is actually like. So ladies and gentlemen, thank you and welcome to the inaugural conversation of the Motivation Station Down and Dirty podcast. We are here with the one and only Heather Kennedy. Um, today we're going to learn a little bit about Heather's life and what it's like being Heather Kennedy and living with this condition that we call Parkinson's disease. So welcome Heather and also welcome Ned and Kim, our co-hosts, Ned Newhouse and Kim Rotundo. Um, we are excited to have you here, Heather. Um, to kick it off, tell us a little bit about yourself. Everybody's heard you on various podcasts and I think everybody out there is interested just to get to know who the heck Heather is. So tell us about your early life, where are you from? What the heck did you do to, that brought you to this point of being such a character in our community?
2: Wow, that's quite an introduction. Um, you sh- I'm the quiet one in my family. Uh, So I grew up upstate New York in a very small town. My dating pool consisted of hockey players, prison guards, cops, and bartenders. (laughs) What could possibly go wrong. Uh, Lots of high security prison action in my hometown. Uh, And so I went a lot, it's called Elmira, New York. I went a lot to Corning and Ithaca. I like to kick around Ithaca because it was a little bit different. It's sort of like the Oakland area or Brooklyn area of the of that upstate new york so basically
1: the finger lakes region kind of like the flint of michigan
2: yeah but there were some bucolic uh like beautiful fields and lots of um green you know i mean it was just beautiful very simple times lots of farms actually so when i say i'm from new york i don't mean like i'm from new york i did spend some time in new york eating sandwiches and having coffee but that was only six years so yeah i come from a family of
1: teachers kind of like when Kim tells people that she's from Michigan it's not quite Detroit right Kim Exactly
2: um I was born uh, my my parents were teachers everyone's a teacher except for me cuz I listened I was a teacher's kid I aimed to please I was always right up in front in the classroom I had a played the violin I was a good kid never drank never did drugs and then I went to college the whole world opened up and then I went to New York City and again things opened up and then, and landed over here in San Francisco and that's where I had my children and started a family The big, big dude.
1: So tell us about that. Um, You you started a family on the other side of the country. You're from New York, and now you're in California. That must have been a a huge um, disorienting dilemma, as we like to say here, in your life. What what was that like?
2: New Yorkers, you can kind of see us coming, especially upstate. We're kind of what you see is what you get. Real simple folk, salt of the earth, upstate. In the city, they'll tell you what to feel. I was disoriented in California because they'd say things like, I'll call you, or you know, let's hang or see. And I thought they were serious. You know, I thought they meant it. Like if you don't show up in New York, they're like, oh my God, we raped. What happened? We're going to send the cops off. Are you okay? You know, here it's like, oh, dude, the surf was up. Just going to hang out and just, you know, just spaced, dude, spaced. This is all new to me because I was kind of like uptight, really intense New Yorker, like a bull in a china shop.
1: So, sounds a little bit like Peoria, right? Right. now.
2: <laughs> I think what happened was that when I wanted to get married and have a family, I wasn't clear on, um, my gender identification, who I wanted to be, or if I was gay or straight, I just fell in love with this man. And he's been a good dad and a good friend even since we've been divorced. Yeah. Um, my kids, I wouldn't change anything about that. Of course, 20 and 23. I have a son, Cage, and a daughter, Catherine Rose. And they really are the apples of my eye. I don't talk about them a lot in Parkinson's advocacy because I wanted to let them choose if they wanted to be associated with Parkinson's. So that's why I didn't I didn't highlight them a lot.
1: So they're getting up to that age now, 20 and 23. Um, How how have they taken this diagnosis of Parkinson's and your new life living with it? They've obviously seen you go through a lot of change and now they're adults. So do you find new supportive partners in your children?
2: Yeah. My son helped me into bed last night as he often does. He said, you know, he knows how to pull the blankets back so I can get into bed easily because I freeze around eight. And if I I'm in the TV room, which is really just a few steps away. I can't get myself to bed. So he helped me with my walker and he set my water up by my bed and he helped me find my pills and helped me lift me a little bit so I could drink through the straw because I'm completely incapacitated after like 8 p.m. It really does affect him. I think it makes him sad. Um, and my daughter too, she's very, um, she got up in the night with me after I had, had an, an injury and helped me out. So they're learning how to be carers. They're learning about disability. They're learning about invisible disabilities. You know, I didn't know about all of that. Like I asked someone, I can tell you, I've done some terrible things when it comes to ableism. No, it's a lot of things that I've done before I knew what this was about. You know, like I asked, it's, someone, it's that?
1: interesting. It's interesting how that that mindset takes you from somebody who's done wrong in that lane to now somebody who, yourself who's a huge advocate. Or not doing that anymore, right? Because wow. you've seen yourself on one side of it, experience what that's like, and now being on the other end of it and experiencing that from other people whose eyes aren't quite as open as ours.
2: Right. Disability you do, visibility. You a
1: great job with that.
2: Thank you. Disability visibility is a term that I got from Alice Wong's book. It's really important that I'm not participating in ableism or increasing the unawareness, increasing that sort of ignorance. I want to just participate in just showing one little vignette, which is just my, my little section. I mean, I'm not a spokesperson. I'm not a tour guide for Parkinson's. I just have one particular corner. of Right.
1: For This hour you are our tour guide um, for Parkinson's, not Parkinson's in general, but for Heather's Parkinson's. And that's what we're here to really dive into is just your experience. Now, I know you've experienced ableism as you called it. Can you define that for our listeners so we have a clear understanding of what you mean by ableism?
2: Um, an example of ableism would be a time when I looked at this is something I did before I Parsons, looked at the person who is the carer for someone else. So there's a there's a person who's noticeably disabled in a chair next to him, and I talked to the to the one on one. And I said, Can he talk? And he goes, I don't know. Why don't you ask him? There's an example of ableism. Another example of ableism was me pounding on the door when someone was taking too long in the bathroom. Excuse me, we're waiting out here. Because I was, of course, important and I had to go somewhere, you know. It didn't even occur to me that person was having trouble pulling up their pants. Um, A third example is when I I asked a woman who was a paraplegic if she wanted to have, if you want to do some content on sexuality and intercourse. Hello. Like, you know, I mean, I couldn't backpedal fast enough
1: yeah and when you're
2: really stupid things
1: it hits you right in the heart when you when you say something like that and then you realize oh wow i just put a dagger right in that person and you can't pull it out and even if you do they're still bleeding right
2: or in in the last in the latter case she took it with a great deal of humor and she laughed and that's when i realized oh my gosh you know she was asking me how to make the content better for her for her ms group and i was like oh my god please forgive me she said for what How can I hold people accountable for not knowing about Parkinson's? It's very confusing. It's a complex disease.
0: Have you had uh, any kind of situations like that where where people treated you in such a way? And if so, how do you deal with it? Is it humor? Is it
2: something else? I used to get so mad. The old me would be like, I'm going to fight this. Where do they live? Did you get their license plate? Now I'm like, oh, you said you want to give a donation to Michael J. Fox? Or was it Parkinson's Foundation?
1: Or Motivation Foundation.
2: Yeah. Right. There you go. Exactly. Motivation. I'll be like, oh, you want to, you want to know more about Parkinson's? Are you you interested? I see you clocking me and I'm not that pretty. You know, I look okay, but I'm not that good looking. So I see you. Yeah. I know you're interested. Like, or the time when like, there's a lot of microaggressions that happen. Like I said, excuse me, because there's a wall of people and I was trying to get by them. And he's like, well, then go, why don't you just go? What do you think I did? I froze. Right. I was like, I, I get it. <laughs> and I wanted to tell everybody, I just have Parkinson's, but I couldn't even talk. And I didn't feel like dealing with him anyway. So I just kind of stumbled along and they all laughed at me. I don't care about stuff like that. It's when they say hurtful things like, why don't you have another drink? Or, oh my God, she's getting in her car. She's so drunk. We should call the police. I'm like, go ahead and call the police. I'm going to fail that test no matter what. So it doesn't matter, <laughs> you know? Or I like to say things like, I'm sorry, do, are you concerned about me? You know, Is there something concerning? I understand you're trying to protect people around us and you don't usually get a chance to say all that this happens in a snap you know someone driving by should you drive by
0: right we're really good at thinking later what we should have said that would have made an impact but in the moment it's pretty tough i mean between that being the natural reaction of any person right kind of being like what did that just happen and the fact that we have this brain fog we have these walls that go down in our thinking that just make it impossible to do so in the moment, unless you have something prepared for those type of situations.
2: Don't you love it when you see it and you're there and you can sort of say something for someone, on someone else's behalf? Absolutely. I love, that's one of my favorite things. I get my little hero cape on. I'm like, Oh, I'll save the day <laughs> as if, as if I could say anything, but you know what? Let's say that it was alcohol. Addiction is a disease as well. Either way, the person's kind of being a dick. It would it would be really nice to just bring them down just a notch and say oh you're going to donate to AA or what you know whatever just just say little things move on you know.
1: Isn't it fun how our cognition is always way more clear when it's somebody else involved? I find that when it's me speaking on behalf of somebody else, mm-hmm. I could be the most articulate person in the world. But when I'm in the situation, I'm a stuttering phone. What? You know,
2: misunderstood.
1: Yeah. while well, I'm looking I'm so around sorry. waiting for that articulate person to come and save the day. I've had those situations, too. And I feel like, Heather, you kind of escaped a lot of those situations and um, just symptomology in general through humor. Can you tell me how being a humorous person and kind of surrounding yourself with other humorous people in life has helped you through some of these situations that you deal with?
2: My brothers are incredibly funny. Um, Like I can just, my brother's face can just pop up on a screen. I'll just start laughing. He's that kind. He's that guy. And he'll just keep hitting you with these jokes until you're, you know, doubled over laughing. He is if, so if you're
1: if you're the quiet one of the family, I can only imagine
2: he's 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 really amazing. Um, he should have been a stand up. He's a teacher. Same thing. Stand up needed teacher uh, for junior high. <laughs> um, I think what happened with me is I needed a coping mechanism. I'm very sensitive, of course, you know, just a little flower. I think I was one of those like, you know, those kids was just way too sensitive. So I hide behind my humor. Times when I'm being vulnerable is the only time you'll get the real me. I'm trying to be more vulnerable in my work look i can work out and do marathons i'm showing look i can crawl and still get up so the humor is just another code you know i want to hide behind it and be like oh you know let's sh- shaky shaky you know like i want to make it sort of fun in it. and i'll say now that i have your attention look over here gainer edwards as an example she does that brilliantly
0: so let's flip that for a minute then um and talk about the other side of it so what kind of behavior do you most appreciate about people, especially those that you maybe don't know as well and and what kind of approach
2: do you appreciate? I'm going to go with the Socratic method here. I love it when someone's unclear. Certitude terrifies me. If somebody says they got all figured out, I'm going to run every time. I don't want to hear that you have it all figured out. I want to hear your, your dark moments. I want to hear what you Fear. I want to hear what you're working on. I want to hear what, you know, some techniques to maybe get out of the mock, to say we're all in it together, you know, but some of us are looking over the stars. I, I guess I want to know, um, for example, in Blade Runner, the Blade Runner is about what makes us human, what actually is the consciousness of humans versus the replicants. And in my opinion, in the first Blade Runner, Rucker Hauer was way more human when he showed his, you know, agony when Chris was being, you know, silenced. So I feel like it, it begs the question it's about humanity. So I want to get down to that. I want to get down to what's beyond the layers. Take off all the mass and the dragon scales. and Who who am I? With or without Parkinson's? This philosophical question. It's not like I'm sitting here thinking about that and, you know, navel gazing. But I'm just saying for all of us, the reflection of like, who, who, what is this? Why are, you know, we're all finite. Why are we doing this? Why are we here?
1: When I hear you talking, I hear a lot of references from um, books, I think. And you yeah. seem like a very well-read person. Can you just briefly talk about the comfort you find in reading and just learning in general and exploring the minds of other people.
2: Well, if you walk into somebody's house and they don't have books, don't fuck them. Sorry. That's a quote. <laughs> That's Down
1: a quote. and That's... dirty right here.
2: Right, you have to have books around you. In fact, I have some books right here that are um, from a press called the Plainview Press. My my cousin had a press in Austin, Texas. Her name was Susan Bright. She was a poet. And I pulled these out of a chest that I gathered after she died. And um, I'm amazed at the way language can take us on a journey. It can can enrapture us. It can lift us. It can change our perspective. It it can add a new philosophy into my strong beliefs so weakly held. It can change everything. I mean, a book is literally what my father used to say, a window to the world. My father was a reading teacher. Believe it or not, he used to test on me when I was real little, teach me how to speed read. But I was more interested in the idea that I could express my thoughts through a character, which is why I write a lot of, as a ghost writer and through other names like Kathleen Kiddo and all that. Like I have a lot of different names online and I write prolifically because I can't help it. You have to do whatever it is that helps you feel like you've been heard. We all need to be heard and seen. And I want to tell other people's stories now. I'm bored with my story. Like I want to go into f- characters.
1: Yeah. I feel like having that Avenue of releasing those more negative thoughts allows you to present this positive front to the world. Now, are you telling us? Um, this was a question from Andrea. Actually, are you telling us that you're not always this positive?
2: Oh, oh my God! Somebody had me on a radio show once, and she introduced me. I'm not kidding. Did not tell me she was going to do this as the the positivity expert or something like that, or the positivity guru. And I'm like, who's she talking about? And she's like, Kennedy, you're on. I'm like, what? I was blindsided. So I got of erasure and I bombed. I, I said some stupid story about like, maybe so, maybe not about the guy with the horse and his horse gets hurt. And times it, it, people said, oh, how terrible. And he said, maybe so, maybe not. And I told the story terribly. And I had been mocking the guy in front of me. I wasn't really paying attention because he kept saying moist. I'm like, he said moist 17 times. And I got fired from that immediately as no longer being positive, but being completely distracted. And as I ended that 10 minute clip or whatever it was, what I said was, I'm really uncomfortable that you call me a positivity expert. My family's probably laughing because I can be extremely, I I'm extremes. I'm dark night of the soul. Oh my God, I'm going to die. And cats are going to eat my face and nobody cares to wow. This is okay. I can handle this right now. And I'm walking again. So it's extremes. That's, that's what Parkinson's is for me. I'm either on my meds or off. I mean, I don't have 17 of these sitting on this table for no reason. You know, it's like, I want the dopamine now.
1: And what is it that you're holding up there?
2: This is an Ambriesia uptake system where you put the little pill in. By the time you get this out, you're already, you're already at five minutes and get a little pill out. You put it in chamber, you crush it down. One of these at all inhalers, like a, it ends up having a kazoo effect. Wee, it just powder <laughs> so it goes all over your face. You're like your friends are like, did you just a blow in the bathroom?
1: Yeah, it, then no, I'm just lip.
2: hyper because of the meds. It's called get a little dopamine.
1: bit of powder on your lip.
2: Yeah, <laughs> You're walking
1: over. around with it on your really lips.
2: messy. I don't know who designed this, but this is great. It's really messy.
1: It's perfect for shaky hands, right?
2: <laughs> right, and like the bottles we have to open, are they kidding? And the forms we have to fill out, like. People are like, welcome to Parks' it's Awareness Month. I'm like, how about awareness that we can't fill out these 25 forms you just handed us? Let's get real here. Like, how about awareness so I can't open this pill jar?
1: Heather, I, I had security called on um, me in my own doctor's office for that issue. When I walked in, the, the person behind the counter wanted me to um, change my primary care physician so their insurance process, their billing process could be easier. And they wouldn't allow me to see my doctor until I made this call and pushed all these little buttons on the phone. So I refused and these people, because at that point I'm shaking and upset, they called security on I me. Mean, at that point, security guard, I had been you know, walking past and greeting him for years at this point. He came up and laughed and told the woman behind the counter that you might want to pull up this guy's chart and just let him see his doctor. But that's that goes back to our earlier statements that we were making about prejudgments and, and whatnot. And
2: because you treated that security guard just like everybody else, he was there for you
1: exactly they thought he was going to come up and drag me out he came up and gave them a little bit of an education you know which was really cool and that's that, your
2: integrity yeah you're those good
1: small relationships that we build along the way and just smiling and be nice to people they do come and pay off and you we've got what? questions coming in from our from Can our i have something
2: to that though real quick never my Father used to say pay attention to how people treat those they don't need or want anything from that's how you'll know a person
1: and who was it that said that my father your father, the the one who taught you to read so well and that you're using now um, at this point in your life. Is your father still with us? No. No. Look at that. I love it. That's nice. where you get your good looks from.
2: He grew up on a farm. Thank you. He grew up on a farm. He was a farm boy. I said, Dad, why didn't you play sports? He goes, I was bailing hay.
1: Oh, man. Which... By the way, uh, we didn't really inform you of this, but this isn't just going to be an audio podcast. So when you lied earlier and told everybody that you weren't that good looking, they're going to see you on YouTube.
2: and No,
1: right then and there. Oh, wow she doesn't have Just an ego at all. Era. So we're getting some questions from um, our viewers, which we didn't really uh, describe this all that much when we first started. But the the motivation station is going to be a little bit different, folks. We we're airing this on the pod pod network for our audio listeners, but we'll be pairing it up with a YouTube channel so that you guys can take a look at our community. Um, and this is uh, the community that Darby Schlosser built on Uh, Motivationfoundation.org. You can go there and join us if you'd like to. Um, But what you see here are our main core of trainers. um, And we're about to have Kim start a new group that's funded by a Michigan foundation. I, myself, am the lead trainer Motivation Foundation, and we just started a group uh, this week that was funded by Label Daddy, uh, which is a Las Vegas company. Um, You can go to LabelDaddy.com and find some high quality labels to keep track of all of your stuff and your kid's crap. And if you take care of somebody, you can keep track of their crap as well. But we're getting some questions from um, our people within our little town hall setting here. Um, Ned, you wanna take that and and shoot some questions over at Heather for us?
3: Yeah, thank you, Nate. Um, Heather, this might be a, a bit of a difficult question, but since you brought up your father or we were talking about your dad, um, Mike Quaglia um, offered up the question that knowing your father passed from Alzheimer's, does that scare you?
2: Oh, yeah. My grandmother, my aunt, my father, my, my cousin, I think. Um, I'm pretty sure I'm headed that direction. Wait, who are you? Hmm. I'm pretty sure that I failed a lot of those cognitive tests already. And DBS does not help with that either. Um, what I have is a plan for euthanasia because I know that it, the family suffers so much. One thing I do want to say about it is my father was entirely in the moment, mm. all the time. He never left the moment because he couldn't remember what had just happened. So he was more present, and I had more of his attention than ever before when he was right there with me. I have pictures of him shaking too, but my mother swears he didn't have Parkinson's. But I have pictures of him doing this while he was sleeping and resting, like he'd fall asleep in the chair and he'd be shaking. So I'm quite sure that an autopsy would have revealed that he had both. And I do have a LARC2 gene mutation and it does have some genetic history. So yeah, I I can see it on the, it's like the mountain at my gate. It's the shadow always nipping at my heels.
1: That was a great question, Mike, and it, it touched on something that I had in my notes. Just from knowing you and speaking to you, Heather, can you describe to our viewers what you mean by a plan for euthanasia and what it was that you were talking about, keeping your family from having to go through certain things? What do, what do you mean?
2: It is a horrific experience. I just did a talk at Safi Sa, Safi's um, event for the Parsons Foundation. She documented her father's last year of life. He had dementia and Parkinson's or Alzheimer's and Parkinson's and um, half dozen, one, six of the other, they say, but anyway, he was without memory, but he worked with her on this project for the last year. And it is gutting um, watching my father lose his memory and become a different person. Sometimes even mean enough to try to push my mother down the stairs. That was not his personality. That was sundowner syndrome. Uh, And I sit with a man named Jim here in my community and I sit next to him and I watch him writhe and struggle. Euthanasia for, for my plan is that if I get bad enough so that I'm Really, you know, going off the deep end there and just needing around the clock care and, you know, not really being able to care for myself and not really having a memory. Um, you know, let's do it. So I'm going to hold a I'm going to hold a, an event. I'm going to say, do you hate my guts? Have you always hated me? Have you wanted to kill me? Well, now's your chance. <laughs> <laughs> and then I'm going to wheel in like, I don't know, some kind of. You can hold a, you could hold a like.
1: fundraiser for who gets to pull the plug.
2: Exactly. Because my friends are like, I'm not doing it. I'm not doing it. my kids. are like, I'm not doing that. So I'm going to hold the fundraiser. All proceeds go to motivation.
1: Yeah. And you know what, Heather? I don't want to dwell on this on this topic, yeah. of course, because we want to stay positive. But this is one thing that a lot of people have trepidation and even talking about. But, you know, it's a part of death. It's a part of your reality. It's a part of many of our listeners' reality that they don't want to be a burden on other people. So that thought crosses their mind. And there's many places where this is legal now. um, And there's options out there for folks. And I, I would say, please, you know, please, please, please employ a plan. And don't just go doing this to your family, because when when there's no plan in place, I'm sure, Heather, you can speak to this too, and you just leave this world, you leave a huge mess behind for people to clean up. And it sounds like, Heather, you are taking time to plan things out well, and you've got probably some paperwork in place, I would assume, and you're going through this in a very professional way, including doctors and things of that nature. You're not just planning to one day walk into a room and in your life that's not what we're talking about right
2: and i know a lot of death doulas who help people die that's what they're called and um and i one of my best friends does this right now she's currently working with four different patients and their families i know people that work for hospice and i've worked for hospice myself i feel that it's something we need to have conversations about more and more And i'm not afraid I, I've, I've held death cafes here at that at my place um which are pretty cool they're just non um they're non-therapeutic talks about death and grief That's it. Yeah. Anyway,
1: it's the uh, it's the other side of life, right? And it's a part that we all have to contend with. At some point, we're all gonna. Don't worry. Yeah. But moving on from that topic, I see that Kim has some stuff she would like to talk about.
0: Heather, shifting gears a little bit, um, it's you mentioned that you're either on or you're off. So your Parkinson's presents itself in kind of extreme ways compared to, to some others. I'm wondering how that original presentation came to be. Do you feel like there, there was an event or a series of events that maybe triggered your symptoms?
1: And before you answer that, Heather, I'm sorry. For our listeners, yes, that was Kim's dog shaking off in the background. This is the Down and Dirty podcast, and we're real here. So, Kim, what's your dog's name?
0: Oswald Ozzy Oswald
1: Ozzie. that's what we heard was Oswald oh, sorry to interrupt I just figured I would throw that out there in case anybody was curious I
2: love the oh look at the I love the Ozzy all
1: right he go ahead treat. I'm sorry to interrupt
2: he needs a treat oh do you hear that treat look at his ears okay. <laughs> I mean okay I don't mean to tease you Ozzy I a treat um I I feel like what, what were we talking about <laughs>
1: What is it the condition you're dealing with again? It's something something was, to do with cognition somewhere along the line, right? Do
0: you do you feel like there was something that sparked your symptoms yeah, to, yeah. Come to the surface
2: of course on um, my gut motility i have celiac disease and i have a lot of gut problems which we presented many many years ago i've always had digestive disorders and i believe that the medication stopped working so the efficacy of meds went plop i've tried everything even a medication that made me entirely delusional and i didn't realize it so i've tried everything i've had um all kinds of experiences with med side effects <clears throat> agonist <clears throat> so <laughs> In terms of meds, they were they were feeling so I I tried DBS and as you know the DBS is not really working for me it's made me lose my balance my rhythm my my I don't know it's just really been a tough thing so I'm entirely reliant on the meds but they don't always work so this morning I had to take a lot just to get here and I'm I'm sort of going off and on a little bit even as we speak but I'm not entirely off so I'm right in the middle right now this is actually perfect normally I'm like jazz hands I've had some meds I'm on let's talk and I can't stop talking and it's like or okay okay Like if you see me, the only reason I don't capture that is because I don't have a body cam. but about half of every day, I can't move at all. I'm crawling. I crawled for four hours today to get out of my bedroom to get some snacks.
1: For our listeners, there's a walker right behind Heather. She she yeah. looks like she could probably run a marathon right now, but sometimes she needs to have that walker in order just to get to the bathroom. Um, we've been in interviews where all of a sudden her camera will go off and then she'll be walking back with the walker. And all of a sudden, yeah. this person who we saw was, you know, seemingly healthy in front of us has gone into an off period.
2: You only see
1: the talking head. <laughs> Isn't you know, not
2: true? that true? My bed smells like snacks. <laughs> My bed smells like snacks. I'm so not
1: gonna... you brought up DBS and that, that brings up an interesting um, dynamic within the group that we have here presently because we have some very awesome stories from DBS cases right here among our group yeah. that's interviewing you. Right. Um, Ned has actually had some awesome uh, positive effects from his DBS. Good. So it's cool to be able to highlight both ends of the spectrum here. And I kind of want to throw it to you guys to have a discussion amongst each other um, because we'll have people listening that are looking at DBS as a possibility and they need to understand that it could go Ned's way it could go Heather's way and it could fall Kim's way, which is somewhere right in between. Um, And it's kind of uh, an interesting thing to bring Kim into this conversation because all three of you had DBS. Heather, you've been um, with DBS now for a lot longer than the other two. But Ned has had some extraordinary results, whereas Kim's are kind of mid-range. And and Mike, um, we've got a lot of people within our group that have had DBS or considering it. But With the three of you, um, we've got all three ends of the spectrum represented. I kind of want to throw it to you guys. Just talk about DBS, your own experiences with it, and what you would say people need to think about when considering dbs heather i'll let you go first from you know the far end of the spectrum of you've not had the best results um what what what's your experience been and what would your cautions be
2: uh if i were a shaky not a stiff person in terms of parkinson's i think it would have worked better and if i didn't have gpi which is what i have so i don't have stn just to be clear and i have heard great stories about it too i was also asleep for the entire procedure which i now would not recommend didn't know that i should have been awake um, because they placed it right according to what their thoughts were on where it should go. And I'm thinking it might might be misplaced in, in my system or they just haven't programmed it right yet. Who knows? But uh, I'm still working at it two and a half years later. So we'll see what happens. But I'm going to pass the buck here because I want to hear, you know, the good stories. Is it, you well, can't work for
1: let's let's throw it to Ned then next. And and Ned, it has to be interesting because since you've had your DBS surgery, I know that you've had a lot of people reaching out to you for advice. And knowing that you're on the far end of the spectrum, it's gotta be hard for you to give people advice because you know that there's not much chance that they're going to have the same exact results as you, right?
3: You know, Nate, you bring up some really good points. And Heather, um, you know, you and I have almost opposite experiences. Wow. I have an STN location. I went to wake during the uh, the, the, the surgery or, or during the important parts of the surgery. And I was a shaky. Um, you know, all those things kind of put me in a box that makes me kind of almost the ideal candidate. And I remember In the first year of diagnosis, 10 years ago, doctors were talking to me about how some point in my future, DBS is going to be part of my treatment plan. So I had no fewer than four movement disorder specialists over the years tell me that I'm a really good candidate for this. And I think if you go in understanding where you're at on that continuum of candidacy, and you have a really good discussion with your surgeon and your movement disorder doctor about how they're going to ensure placement is correct, then your chances um, become much greater for a successful result. It's not a, uh, how do I say it, A, a simple question. And Nate, you're exactly right. I want to stand on top of every mountaintop and scream at the top of my lungs. This experience is wonderful, but I'm not completely out of the woods yet. I'm still in programming. Um, you know, I have some things that have changed as a result. Um, I'm working with some people to to work through those um, balance. Uh, really it's more of a relearning how to walk. Um, anyway, do I want to turn this into a, a discussion just about me because it, I appreciate the opportunity to compare and contrast is, I guess, the way I want to leave it. The Motivation
1: Station. I think our listeners kind of want to keep hearing your voice, man. His voice
0: is much nicer than my voice. (laughs) Tim, I've got a
1: specific question for you. Um, being that you actually got your DBS after Ned and you got to watch him kind of go through these steps. Um, and then having in the back of your mind that situations like Heather's could come up. Um, what what was it like going through this and then, you know, after you had the surgery, your your programming hasn't quite gone as well as you would hoped and then seeing other people's programming's go really well. How does how does it play into your mind as somebody um who has your own results to contend with? Do you really focus much on other people or are you have you have you had the advice which I suspect you have to kind of just focus on yourself through this process
0: right it's been a mixed bag for me I was very thankful going into the surgery that I had heard from other people and what their experiences were because I did hear both sides. So when things happened, that might have been pretty terrifying for me um, on on the operating table before that, after that, I was able to say, oh, okay, Katie told me about this. Ned told me about this. And, and I felt much more comfortable in that sense. I was awake during the entire surgery and I think that was a good thing too. But um, <laughs> I'm now at the point where I need to, to step away from those other experiences and really focus on my own. <laughs> definitely seen some improvements. The primary issue that I've had has not been resolved to the degree that I would like. I still have quite a bit of pain, which is, which is what drove me to get the surgery sooner rather than later. So that's a bit frustrating. But uh, like Heather, it's a work in progress and I'm still working on it. And I'm not that far out. My first surgery was in September, second in October, and it was turned on in November. So I'm still fairly early in that process, which I have to keep reminding myself as well. Part of my difficulty is, is that my, my brain reacts to a little increase in stimulation quite a bit. And so things start going haywire, but then it also adjusts to it quickly. So then, then any benefit that might've been there disappears. So it just takes a really long time to figure that out.
1: So to, to wrap up this conversation, I think the, the main overall, overall goal of uh, DBS is, you know, symptom reduction and to decrease your medication need, right? Um, And that's the question that Mike Q actually brought up. And Mike Q guys, uh, for our listeners, if you don't know, he's kind of the inspiration behind this entire thing. Um, He's a radio veteran. um, And he's been my uh, mentor through this entire journey of starting this podcast by bringing me into his own podcast, um, which was years in the making, and I was extremely humbled to have that opportunity. So Mike, if you could unmute yourself. Um, The reason I'm bringing Mike into this is he's actually a DBS veteran. He's had deep brain stimulation surgery now for years, I believe. And he he wanted to highlight some of the risks, of course. It's helped a lot of his symptoms, but at the same time, as a radio man, it's kind of reduced your vocal abilities, has it not, Mike?
4: Yes, it has, quite a bit. Is it has quite a bit.
1: As our listeners can hear. And that's why I wanted to bring you into this conversation because your voice, though it's softened and though it's a little bit different, it's still important for folks to hear because this too is a part of Parkinson's disease, right?
4: <clears throat> yes, it is. I'm seizing up right now.
1: Which, so one last question. I'm not going to put you on the spot for too long, okay? But. How does this make you feel, Mike? As somebody who's got so much passion in doing these things. First of all, thank you for the inspiration for all of us to even be here. Um, but second of all, now you're kind of in a leadership role that your voice has been reduced. How do, how does that make you feel? Not,
4: it's not great. I can typically I'm not from easier now, excuse me.
1: So People who are watching on YouTube, um, this is the down and dirty of Parkinson's disease. This is what we deal with. So DBS, I want you guys to understand, is definitely going to help with some symptoms, but it's not an end-all be-all. It's not a fix. A lot of times it's a reset and you have to relearn the new disease that you're dealing with. And moving on from that topic, Heather, I want to ask you a little bit more about your early life and how it brought you to this point. Okay. We're kind of coming deep into the conversation. I want to get to know the real Heather a little bit more. And there are a couple points that I want you to touch on along the way. Okay. So take us back to your high school days. Tell us how school was for you. And then moving into the married life and then kind of finding yourself. And I want to know if Parkinson's helped you to find yourself in this person that you are now, and maybe talk about how Along the way, Parkinson's may have helped you find who you were truly meant to be all
4: along.
2: Wow. One thing I really enjoy about working in the population of people who have have this disease is that we've all been humbled in one way or another. In other words, whatever ego or swagger or fight, you know, fight this, we had eventually gets kind of knocked down a bit. I'm not saying that we give up. I'm just saying we realize that fight might not be the right word. That's just my opinion. I mean, you can call it whatever you want. It's like, it's like, what do we call the divine? I don't care if they call it God or Allah or like whatever. It doesn't matter to me what people call things. It doesn't matter what I think of things. My opinion of that does not matter. It just is. Who am I? You know, I'm just a little ant. And because we're so finite, so temporary, I I find that to be rather um, soothing. But to go back to my younger years, I was told by a babysitter that I was an ambitious child. In other words, I was probably a little bit of a pain in the ass and asked a lot of questions. I was endlessly curious, and I continue to be. I read everything I get my hands on. I've memorized the Bible. I love it when the Mormons come to my door. I'm like, come on in. I can use my philosophy of religion degree. I can't wait to talk to you. I've got you now, you know, like I love to talk about the philosophies of cultures and religions and and just everything, you know, never really drawing any conclusions. I don't have any answers. I have no idea. I I'm I'm just exploring this world with a lot of curiosity. So as a kid, I spent hours on a farm in the summers. I helped my grandparents as a farmhand. Um, and I hung out with the farmhands. Like I was out there, you know, with the cow, by the way, cows are great listeners. They all come up and they all kind of, hmm. They just sit there. You could tell them anything. They never tell your secrets. It's pretty cool. I'd suck on the sassafras branches and wander around the farm and follow the trucks when they were spraying. Imagine that. Uh, I did a lot of things like photography. I spent a lot of time in the darkroom. I was a very solitary student. I think I hated high school, by the way, hated it. I was um, attacked in high school and the people watching did nothing about it. That, that, that hurt me a lot. I remember feeling like, why didn't somebody help me when that guy was throwing me down? And then I remember the backs of my legs were bleeding from where he ripped off my underwear. I had blood on the backs of my legs. And uh, that's about as far as I'll go with that story. It ended well, believe it or not. Not as expected. It wasn't the, per- the person who helped me was not the one that I would have expected. But um, I got out of that situation by the skin of my teeth. Um there were a lot of things about my high school that were very, very cruel. And there was a particular girl, and I'll just tell the story quickly. I hated her for years because she really bullied me. She was older than I was. We all have these stories, these little stories. And I saw her once. I was giving her flowers because my niece was her preschool student. She's like, I need to give this to Miss P. I'm thinking, who's Miss P? Because it was a different last name, wasn't her last name. And as we approached, I was like, oh my it's so and so, you know. It's this girl. This is the moment I've been waiting for all my life. I've been at the UFC gym, you know, her face has been on the, the card. And I took one look at her, my shoulders went down. I was like, we're square. Wow. Fate got you. Karma, whatever you want to call it. She looked drained. I think she was missing a tooth. She just looked like she was wiped out. And I thought, and I said a little prayer for her instead of going after her, thinking, this is my moment to say the thing that I wanted to say all those years. I thought, wow, it's not about me. It's not about what happened. Let it freaking go. You know, why did I hold on to that? Like, why do we remember the names of our bullies? So it was it was a neat moment. It was a beautiful moment. And I handed her the flower and I just said, you're so loved. And she she was terrified of me by that point. She was like, I'm like, like she, I said, do you remember me? And she goes, no, it was, it was an interesting conversation. Anyway, long story short is we have these ideas in our heads and all these thoughts and stuff. So I have memories of high school, I have memories of my school years, I have memories of who I think that I was. I think I was just, um, do you know The Secret Garden by Frances Hodge and Burnett? That's who I was. I was just out there with the brambles and the birds talking to the trees. And I was a little geek. I I was scientific. I wanted to like study the ants and follow and see where where, where, where were they going? Where is this line of ants going? Like for hours. And that's how I paint now. I paint for hours. I get lost in my paintings. I love to be alone. But I also get really lonely. Parkinson's. I was lonely in school. I, I really, like I said, I can't say much good about high school. My mother was a teacher in my school. I didn't get away with anything. (laughs) I can can get away with anything no skipping school for me
1: so how early on in life did you move on to motherhood and um in the married life
2: I met my husband my ex-husband now in a bar in hate street and he came over and he said I don't see you here very often you come here much and I'm like really I, I was like really I said, I'm going to get some pizza across the street. And as I ran to go across the street, his friend said, Dude, that girl you've been talking to just left. So he came running out. Aren't you gonna leave your number? I can't believe you're leaving. I'm like, I'll come back and play pool, maybe. I was kind of a jerk. So I finally went back and played pool. And unfortunately, I did give him my number. He tried to call me that night. And I'm like, dude, are you are you serious? Like, don't ever call me again. You know, this is I'm not a booty call. Like, what do you think this is? Anyway, you know. <laughs> Long story short, we got together many, many weeks later when I finally caved and we went to sushi, which he hated. And he didn't tell me he just hated sushi. And I fell in love with this guy. He was just a, it's just an average, kind, nice guy. He used to play football for Cornell. He was a, he tells a story about how he went up against somebody who was, I guess now in the end or then in the NFL right after college. And he put the rag over his head and just went like this to his coach. Coach was like, Grushevsky, get back out here. And he just went, nope, no, Thanks. You know, it was it was kind of a neat, it was, it was it was a nice marriage while it lasted. We had a lot of trouble though, way before Parkinson's. We're very different. I'm creative, you know, dreamer and he's um, a logical finance dude.
1: Do you feel and, like Parkinson's impacted your marriage at all? When were oh, yeah. you diagnosed while you were married to him?
2: Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Um 20 years before I was let me let me think about this for a minute. When my daughter was born is when my first symptoms showed, right around that time. I had been sick with some viral stuff and then I finally got pregnant and my daughter and I got really sick, really sick. And I was bedridden for part of my pregnancy even. That was 23
1: uh, years ago now, huh?
2: Yeah, almost. Well, 20, 21. So uh, yeah, that did affect us because I wasn't as much fun. My knuckles were dry. You know, I don't blame him for everything that happened at all. I I mean, what was he going to do? His his partner changed. And I didn't even know why I was changing until uh, eight years later.
1: That's something that um, a lot of people with Parkinson's don't really contemplate is the load of our disease, on um, our support system on those people around us and how huge it is. It's, it's not just a change in our life. It's a change in their life completely. All the dreams, all the plans, everything that we'd made together, all of a sudden, poof, they're different.
2: That's the hardest part. That's the hardest part. And I have a voice still. And so I want to talk to what Michael said, Michael Q, um, the labyrinth between the thought and the mouth gets deeper and wider and more complex as we go forward. It's very hard to communicate when that labyrinth grows in there. It's sort of like the shining going on. It's like you have your thoughts are coming way too fast and your mouth can't keep up. Communication
1: is it's not a big part of relationship, is it?
2: <laughs> Imagine that. You know, relationships are hard enough when everything's going hunky-dory. You had a couple of kids in there, some financial difficulties, sprinkle in a couple of uh cultural differences or something that, you know, goes wrong, little, little envy or jealousy. Who knows what could happen? Love.
1: That kind of leads into another question we had from our um, town hall here from Andrea. How have your other friendships been impacted by Parkinson's disease?
2: How have they not? The people I thought would be around to support me are not the people who are around to support me and, and likewise me supporting them. I always thought that I'd be such a big support for everybody. And now my capacities have dwindled as well. So I look at this as capacity, not how lovable we are. What what happens is when somebody deserts us, abandons us, or steps away, that's their relationship to illness. That has nothing to do with us. It's hard to remember that, though, because it really hurts. I had one friend say to me, You know, I thought I would have time for you when my kids went to college, but it turns out I don't. That was it. I was just dismissed. Like, oh, okay. I guess i'll get in the back of the line again or not you know it felt very um yeah and other people they'll be like oh i'll call you and then they never do or they'll call you and invite you to something you can't go to so they just give up on calling it's nice to be asked or you'll say you'll meet somebody and you'll be i'll be an hour late like i'll be an hour late to meet somebody and i'll say oh my god i'm so sorry i got stuck could not get a ride blah blah and per- type a's do not get along well with me highly scheduled type a's so you have to just say can i have a little bit of leeway here we be flexible. Those are the people who come around.
1: Now, this leads into a question that we got from, uh, from Jim and it's about stress. These things, relationship wise that you're talking about, they add stress to our lives, right? So we have to find ways to mitigate that stress. It sounds like from your experience, which is similar to mine, you just simply have to let some relationships go, um, and focus on the ones that are fruitful in your life. So, Jim's question um, How stress impacts you and your symptoms, and what, what do you do to mitigate that
2: stress? I go crazy. You're kidding me? I'm Princess in the Pea. It's hot. It's too cold. It's, oh, there's a little something going on here. Oh, I can't breathe. Oh, my friend looked at me funny. Oh, she's mad at me. Oh, I have all these stories. You know what I do? I drop the story. The thinking that I have is not real. My thoughts are not real. When I start to obsess, I go, aha, there you are, dopamine agonist. And then I question it. I use inquiry. I say, is that really true? Did Jim Kroger really say that about me? And even if he did, who cares? Not like who cares, like I don't care what Jim thinks, but more like I would say something more like if I think that that happened, I can just call Jim directly and say, hey, Jim, what's going on? Instead of making it a thing, you know, Like this, it doesn't need to be a thing, especially on social media. We get all tangled up in, in what we think is like our persona, which is really just an avatar of fake highly curated evidence of a highlight reel you know like i mean i'm not saying that about everybody but it's like this i was saying it's this first person is so big like like the news is my opinion on what i ate today like or or my my habit or our faces or some some quote that's going to highlight like it's going to bring you up it's going to be a lovely quote it will change your day you know and it's like no dude just be real like gavin mogan's pretty real as an example
1: Always. It's interesting. Uh, and our group that we have here is full of people that I would listen to, like Jim, as you mentioned, probably don't listen. And that's bad advice. Always listen to Jim Kroger if he's talking. Yeah, he's, he has good things to say. And then to tie it in with what you said about social media, another member of our group is Trent McLean. He's uh, a marketing guru. And that's Thank really you. what we're doing is we're all marketing ourselves, right, Trent? you can go ahead and unmute yourself and join the conversation if you don't mind, buddy. So the, the, the question Trent, is, you know, what, what Heather's talking about rather than just being real um, it's like, we've all turned into our own little Trent McLean uh, marketing experts for ourselves. And we only present what we think is going to kind of push our own agenda in this world on social media with within the Parkinson's community Trent, Is that advantageous? You think?
4: Well, I, I think that from where we're sitting, Uh, we need to you need to rise above the crowd and to have your differentiator absolutely critical to to do that and i think you have to be that much better to rise above it because as heather said you know we walk through a room and we're not recognized and you're going to have to be a little bit you know i don't abrasive is the right word but you've got to make yourself known because you're just peeking you're just peeking above and you're It's taking all your energy just to peek above the ledge. And the way Heather does it is she sneaks up on you and she catches you off guard. And that's, that's really what I love about her. And that's what you need to do. You need to have that differentiating factor, but you've got to have a bit of an edge in the right way. And it's being able I think to find that, to find that edge and that differentiator that gets someone's attention in, in the right way. And, uh, It's I don't think everyone can do it the way Heather can, but I think you can take lessons from the way she does it and do it in your own way. Just just as you have, Nate, in in the way you've crafted yourself in this this role. So I think here it's a chance for everyone to stand out in their in their own way. And it's if you can find it yourself, great. If you can't, it's it's networks and forums like this that help bring the best out in people.
2: I'm following you.
4: Heather, only, if, I would, only if you sing
2: mm-hmm.
0: I funny. would love to hear you talk about that a little bit more Heather uh, we all know that having Parkinson's completely changes our paradigm how we live our life how we see our life how we see life in general Heather what do you do with that what approach do you take with that is it do you need people to understand it do you need people to treat you as if you didn't have it yeah. where are you
2: when I first got it, I spent a lot of time soothing the responses that I got to it. I was very worried about how they would respond and how they felt. Now I'm like, it just is a matter of fact. I have this invisible uninvited guest who's always on me, literally hanging. It's like an albatross. Can you see it? Like it's, it's a dude, so he's hanging from my neck, Yeah, you know? it's like a necklace. He's just like grabbing, holding me down. He's always there. He wasn't, he, he, again, he's not invited. There's nothing I can do about it. So I just kind of speak of it like, like it's that, but we need a new I guess the word would be lexicon. We need need a new lexicon for Parsons. We need to blow this stuff up a little bit more because we're doing the same thing again and again. Every new batch of Parkies, myself included, come in here, you know, guns ablazing and fists and the fire and the torches. We're going to change this. We're going to go to Congress. Oh, gee, we never thought of that before. We can. We will. Yeah, exactly. We want, what do we want? We don't know, but when do we want it? We want it now. You know, there's this charge. And if you look at the UK, the Parsons UK faction, they're extremely organized. They've been doing this stuff forever, like going to parliament. And they're like, oh, you're going to start this over for the awareness. Oh, you, oh, oh, now you're going to go to Congress. You've done it before. They just didn't, they never allocate it. We can push laws through all we want. They never allocate it. I'm hopeful they'll do it sooner or later. we got to keep pushing. I'm not saying that we give up. Believe me. I'm not saying the next people, that, the next generations like PD Avengers, vendors who are trying to do this are wrong. I'm just saying we've done all this before. And when somebody who was a pretty well-known advocate stood up on a stage and said, we had this great idea that we would interview Parkies, I'm thinking... Hello, radio parkies. Hello, the Mike and Mike show. They've been doing this for ages. You guys didn't invent this. You just do it with more money and factions because you got a lot of, which is great. Like get it out there. Who cares who did it first? Like just keep getting it out there. But don't forget to look back at the elders and say, look how far we've come. Give them credit. And then also build from what they've already done. Don't start the ground again. Don't show me you can work out. We've done that before. We know workouts help us. I don't need to see you working out unless you're hosting a class that we can join and it's helpful. You see what I'm saying? We keep reinventing
1: wheel. I love that you brought that up because um, what we're doing here with the Motivation Station, we're not trying to reinvent the podcast, but what we are doing is taking um, things that our elders, as you put them, sorry to classify you as that, Mike, um, and and evolved it into this awesome platform that uh, Motivation has put on for us. This group that we're interviewing you with, Heather, we've been training together for the better part of two years now. And every Friday we get together and we discuss as elders, I guess, as you would put us within the Parkinson's community, how we within our various avenues can affect the community better. And that's led us to this point where, you know, we thought, okay, we've got some awesome podcasts out there, but it'd be really cool to just get down and dirty a little bit further and deeper into the conversation with particular people and do it in a way that represents us well as motivation because this is what we do we get together and we share ideas um, every Friday with or without a guest this group is is getting together and sharing ideas just the same as we did with you today um, thank you for joining us and sharing all your ideas but that's this is just what we do this is the motivation
2: nobody has helped me more than Darby in terms of physical therapy and getting my body aligned She's the one who taught me how to get out of my frozen gait. She's the one who taught me to think about things from a different perspective, completely different, like things that I would never have thought of. Um, I have a PT who comes to the house who's about as helpful, but Darby can do that even online. And even when she's teaching me, quote unquote, boxing, it's really a totally different thing than I thought it was going to be. And it gets me out of my head, helps me to do dual tasking, and I'm healthier because of it. And I need, I wish Darby lived next door. She'd be so busy. Mm-hmm.
1: I think everybody does. Um, if we all had a Darby next door, this uh, Parkinson's condition we all deal with would be completely different for all of us.
3: Uh, I Actually, it's a good uh, transition. Uh, my cue, put in a town hall question, and it may be a good one to kind of pull the whole conversation together. Heather, how do you stay hopeful? And, and Mike gives the example of ever since he was diagnosed 17 years ago, he's been told there's a t- there's going to be a cure in 10 years. And so, so how how do you stay hopeful?
2: I'm going to say this, and this will be highly controversial. I don't think there'll be a cure in my lifetime, so I'm not waiting. I'm not holding my breath. They keep coming up with all this new stuff, and it's always on like mice, or it's been barely looked at, or there's some drug company that wants a piece of it. They've even halted the sub the sub. Uh, um. Things that go into the skin for that. What do you call those? The duopa and all that. Subcutaneous. The the pump, yeah. yeah. Thank you. Cutaneous. Thank you. I was looking for that word, cutaneous, in my lost mind, in my labyrinth.
1: It's what we do here. We help each other.
2: Labyrinth. So uh, I'll tell you what it is. It's a spiritual practice. It's a meditation. It's prayer. It's knowing that I am not in charge. It is the divine. It is what I call what I call God. You can call it whatever you want. I am not proselytizing. I do not recommend proselytizing. My version of religion and spirituality is not something I want to, you know, tell anybody else is right for them, but you have to have something deeper than the material world. The material world will fall away. This body, this skin, these bones, this is borrowed. This is not me. What what you're looking at, this isn't me. The soul will go on, I believe. I don't know how, why, when. I have no idea what happens when you die. I have no idea. Thank God. Someday Someday I'll find out, I guess. You know, it's, we're all heading the same direction. And as Ram Das says, we are all just walking each other home. So I try to do this with great humility, knowing that it's an even playing field. We're all going the same direction. But I say, I've been closer to death. I've watched people die. I've helped people die. I've listened to people talk while they're dying. And I've spoken whispers in people's ear in the curl of my father's ear, you know, we'll take care of mom. I, I want people to know, too, though, that we're all so t- everything's temporary. All we can do is stay right here, right now. And that's the hardest thing to do stay right here, right now. Not trip on the past, not future trip, just right now. This is what we have. And it's a beautiful moment to be together. I'm so grateful to be alive, truly grateful. And because all my dragon scales, my masks have been stripped and I have no hidey hole, I have no place to hide. Parkinson's sort of like breaks you open. I'm extremely vulnerable, you know, but as... Lenny Cohen so so brilliantly spoke the cracks are where the light gets in and that's where I want to be helpful where I hurt is where I can help others I believe um so I I know I know suffering now like I never did before so I can maybe I can be more helpful that way maybe my writing will be more contextual more you know in a deeper way that's what I'm hoping
1: well, I know that our community is very thankful for the energy which is exactly what you're speaking on is energy that you that you put out into this uh, into this world
5: mm-hmm. And
1: speaking on energy that's something that we deal with a lot within our mo- motivation modality motivation modalities if I can talk um, we, we talk about how we can drive our energy, how we can use sound specifically to drive our energy. Music. So I'm interested to hear what your um, music, Endeavors are like. Um, I hear that you can sing. And to wrap yeah. this whole conversation up, I kind of would you sing for us a little bit? Maybe a cappella it? <laughs> Give us a little show tune.
2: I could, I could try that. But first, I just want to say music and beats can help you move when you get stuck. It can lift your mood. It can be your friend when you have a bad breakup or a misconception, mis- misunderstanding with somebody. It can, it can cover all kinds of things. Music has literally saved my life. Last night not a DJ save my life from a broken home. So I, I have this thing that's sort of like a musical Tourette's. So if you say a word, I'll make an association to a song. It's like somebody said, I'm getting tired of your shit. So I said, I'm getting tired of your shit. You I don't ever bring me nothing. You know, I started singing songs. Or they'll oh. say, like, um, mm-hmm. it's going to be a lovely day. It's going to be a lovely day for you and me. Like, there are all these song associations. There's always something.
1: Always my favorite for, is for me.
2: It's lovely day. Like I, oh I, yes, is that Withers?
1: Yes, Bill Withers. Yeah. Lovely
2: day. Lovely, lovely day. Lovely, lovely day. day. Or, <laughs> Everybody loves the sunshine. Roy Roy Ayers, the ubiquitous, you know. Everybody <laughs> loves the sunshine. How about this one? Okay. Black and on straight cats in on a fence. Mm-hmm. Ain't got enough dough to pay the rent. I'm flat broke, but I, mm-hmm. I God, but I don't care. I don't bother chasing mice around. You know I love like straight <laughs> cats. I, I kind of like that that style of music with the big. <laughs> boom, boom, boom,
1: boom. I wonder, I wonder if uh, the scientists working on a cure are playing that as they're, you know, chasing mice around.
2: (laughs) Right? Right? That's a good
4: one.
2: (laughs) Oh, oh, you know what our theme song should be? S.O.B. by Nathaniel Raitliff and the Night Sweats.
4: Ooh. My
2: hands were shaking, my heart was breaking, there's bugs falling all over me.
1: All right, so... If, if anybody wants to hear Heather and I sing some more, uh, I hear Mike Q is going to put on a little broadcast yeah. of our talent, so you can tune into that. But I want to wrap this up, and thank you for being our first conversation, Heather. Um, it was really, really, really nice to get to know you a little bit better. And I think our um, listeners are going to probably tune into you a little bit more hot and heavy from now on, now that they know you a little bit more. A big thank you to our sponsor, LabelDaddy.com, for all your labeling needs. Go to LabelDaddy.com and label up. And if you guys have not heard, Heather is actually a recording artist. She has a um, <laughs> you, you didn't realize this, huh? She is um, out there, up there with uh, the likes of Eminem, with her. Oh, um, <laughs> oh that's slim, not my word. Shaky video if you guys want to you can find that on youtube again heather slim shaky go ahead and search for that and laugh your butt off because it's hilarious and i love that you did that
2: a high school kid actually did that his name is sequoia Lowe. joni Lowe, the other woman in the video that's her son he's a he's a great kid just just a great dude he really understands parkinson's
1: it wraps up um, the dichotomy that is Heather Kennedy, and it shows both sides because we've just, we've just got down and dirty with um, kind of the, the lesser side that she didn't really want to share with the, the world as much, but we talked her into, thank goodness. And then when you guys go to YouTube and see that video, you'll see the goofy side of Heather Kennedy, who she says is the least funny of her family. So I would really like to eat dinner with them and laugh my butt off. Heather, I'll give you the last word. Is there anything you want to leave our listeners with?
2: I think a practice of gratitude is everything. I'm so grateful for you all, just seeing your faces here and you showing up. I almost said, Heather, alcoholic. You know, I almost showed up like I would in a meeting. Um, I'm in recovery. And in recovery, we take a lot of care to reflect. And it's important that we let things go. Because, you know, how we die is how we live. And I want to die knowing that I left people, places, and things a little better than they were when I found them. That's the idea. And I really want to make that my goal. Am I always successful? Hell no. I'm going to keep trying, you know. And I just want to be so, I'm just so grateful for you. And I can't wait to hear your stories. I want to hear what you have to say. I can't wait to see what you, when you have an interview. That's a good, I want to see this station all the time. This is going to go viral. It's good.
1: Doing. I hope so. I think that you're a big help in that. And, you know, I love that you bring 100% effort to um, everything that you do, which is the <laughs> shirt that you are wearing for our pod bean listeners.
2: You. And,
1: you know, <laughs> Heather, our next conversation is actually going to be with the one and only Jim Kroger. We're going to yeah. dive deep into what it's like living up in a high rise in Chicago um, as a bachelor with Parkinson's disease um, and his life leading up to um, what brought them to that moment. And that'll be an interesting conversation. So folks tune in, um, in two weeks for the Jim Kroger conversation and Heather, once again, thank you. Um, I'll turn it over to Ned and Kim to close us out. If they have anything they'd like to say, and thank you for tuning in to the motivation podcast.
0: It's been a pleasure getting to know you better, Heather. Thank you for your time. I've, this has been, I've really enjoyed this past hour. Thank you.
1: Me too. Yes, thank you
3: Heather. Uh appreciate your honesty and openness. It it takes courage to to do
1: that and we don't take that lightly.
2: Thank
1: you. If you don't mind maybe like 5 10 more minutes of questions from the group themselves.
2: Are you kidding me? I love to hear myself talk. This is All most- right,
1: cool. If you guys have something that you want to ask, go ahead and just unmute yourself. Try your best not to walk on top of each other, but we'll we'll leave it open for about 10 more minutes for questions from the group, okay? Here we go.
2: I'll go first. So amazing, amazing first interview, Heather. Thank you so much. I wanted to ask you about your experience currently with therapy and how it's helped you in working with a therapist who specifically addresses Parkinson's. Are you, are you talking about talk therapy or physical therapy? Um, No, the mental health therapy with. um... Yeah, yeah. Mental health is so important. The anxiety that we have is both causal and chemical. And so is the depression. Depression is always going to be nipping at your heels, the apathy. And depression can present as apathy, as anger. Usually for me, anger is the easiest for me to grab. So my depression comes on like angry, like I'm furious, I'm rageful. And I don't want to be that person. So talking about it with someone who's a seasoned professional is everything especially if you can do EMDR for trauma, which gets trapped in the body or grief and go over that a little bit. That was really helpful. They can give you some techniques, you know, just, they, they just send you some tools. That's all. They don't. they don't, nothing's solved. It's, it's, it's a work in progress. We're all a work in progress. Heather,
4: what are the dangers of social media, and the people that are on it, going oh, through it?
2: Social media. Thank you so much for asking that question, Mike. I left Facebook a few years ago under a horrible circumstance. I was on a drug that made me somewhat, um, I, I want to say psychotic, like I was very suspicious to begin with on this particular drug, okay, which I don't just don't take that anymore. And a lot of people have had trouble with this particular drug, I won't even say the name because I don't want to slander anybody here, but like a drug company, pharmaceuticals, but it, it's not good for my system. And I was on that for about six months to a year, and during that time, I was crazy. So there I was bumping into somebody else that was crazy. And we were both like clashing and getting really suspicious. And then somebody else came in and then there was somebody who like had a gun and threatened to shoot himself about something that I said. And I'm like, I wasn't even talking to you. And this is all on text. What could possibly go wrong? These are people who haven't met from different parts of the world with different cultures, different experiences, trying to talk about really serious subjects. And then there was some stuff going on behind the scene. And I dare say there was also a sociopath involved that I didn't even see coming. There are some people that are on other things, like other drugs, have nothing to do with Parkinson's and they just want to see the world burn. I mean, it's like the Joker in Batman played by Heath Ledger. He just wanted to see the world burn. They do exist. So I went in blind, like, I'm gonna go to a support group and tell everything and be everything will be fine and we'll be all friends. No, 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 people are people, you know? Remember what's on the internet isn't a real version of the person anyway. Unless you know somebody, just, you know, use use common sense, which I didn't use discernment. I I jumped in full on, like, hey, I'm your be my friend with the Parkinson's. Oh, really? We have a disease only in common? You know, you find your people though. Look it up. Like you find your people. So
4: Jim, did you have a question? I can okay. ask one while Jim's trying to unmute. Heather, mm-hmm. I'm just I'm just curious with uh, you know, your thoughts of not seeing a cure in your lifetime, what you think? One of the biggest contributions could be to, for quality of life. Like if you were able to get unlimited funds, what are what are a couple of things that you would, you think would be important for the quality of life?
2: Davis Finning Foundation nails this. It's about living better right now. We've been given a crap hand. Our timeline feels like this. What could we possibly do that's going to bring joy to our lives and the people around us? What could be bringing more ease? whatever that means for you. Right? Like I love to paint. It calms me down. It's, it's a meditative practice. for me. I do this every day, every night. When I'm up in the middle of the night. I don't sit there on the phone going, I'm awake. Why am I awake? Oh my God, I'm awake. I think, what could I do while I'm awake? That's not really in filling out paperwork because I can't concentrate, you know, listen to music and paint. So we have to find the things that will allow us to adapt. It's all about adaptation. Can I dance? No. Can I do the robot? Sure. You know, so I'm going to find that it's a joy in the dancing like a robot. I have to find new joys like ping pong like you were saying would you have done ping pong before when you when you were a hockey player probably not because you were playing hockey you know but then you adapt and you find something new full and new and joyful so that's what's up whatever that means to you thank you all right jim we can hear you buddy
6: all right hey everyone heather thank you for making such a difficult uh act to follow next week i can feel my stress level building but anyway, you talked about how important spirituality was. And are are you in San Francisco area?
2: I am in the East Bay, closer to Oakland.
6: Okay. This is a guy I want you to meet. He's very he's been he's helped me spiritually and I think he can probably help you. His name is Howard. He's not on the call right now, but he's a member of Darby's group on on, on, on Monday and maybe you can ex- you know, as I've gone through more and more challenges in life, which have been a lot you know people like you persevere keep grinding away and, you know we all we all inspire one another and thank you for being open and honest at the end of the day it really all that matters is, is kind of your spirituality and you know we're all given tests and challenges in life and you know we either succeed or fail and to not give up and and to keep grinding away and and to be so open and honest so i realized you never you never kind of know what chord you will strike with others or who you will motivate who's going to listen who's paying attention but i just want to say thank you for just being you and sharing your, your, yourself and i'm i'm rambling which is what i tend to do with parkinson's now i lose my focus but um uh,
1: we love yeah. your rambles, Jim.
6: Thankful to Darby and the Mike and Nate and everyone else for, for just for just being there for one another. I really enjoyed the interview and encourage anybody else out there that might be listening or paying attention just to uh you know get out there, don't don't fall into isolation as Parkinson's tends to take from us and, and marginalize us and, and make us feel like we don't matter because we all do. And uh and my big new P word for Parkinson's is, is perseverance. So just, just just, keep at it, everyone, and don't give up and good things will happen. And there's there's more out there than you may have initially realized.
1: Yeah. What so, else do we have to do at this point, right? Other thank than just you. Persevere.
2: Like in those dark nights of the soul where you think like, this is how it's going to be always. Remember, everything's temporary. The next day, the next yeah. hour, the sun will be out. It'll change drastically. That's Parkinson's.
1: Somebody who I think highlights that well is uh, in our group and on our call currently. That's Paul Clough. And I wanted to give a moment to Paul within this conversation to highlight something that he's got coming up um, during Parkinson's Awareness Month on Fremont Street in Vegas. This guy is going to be doing something kind of crazy. Uh, Paul, if you don't mind, tell our listeners a little bit about what you got coming up.
5: Uh, Thank you. And Heather, it's, it's always great to hear you. Please speak. I'll I'll meet you, and uh, but uh, yeah. So for Parkinson's Awareness Month, I was lucky enough two weeks ago to um, uh, join Jack's Hope Inc. in the 10 year anniversary, and I I almost completed the Holy Grail, which is a thousand burpees. The only reason I did not is because uh they had the uh, awards ceremony going on and took a little time out of out of the event. So I will be doing a thousand burpees, not just a regular kind of burpee, but a mix of different styles of burpees, uh, on Fremont Street in Las Vegas. Uh, I don't have the exact date yet. But I'm doing it to raise awareness about Parkinson's disease. I'll be fine. The city coming up, and this week I'll actually by Monday or Tuesday of next week, and I'll be um sending the date and time. But yes, I'll be doing a thousand burpees, which is called the Holy Grail. There'll be ten different versions of the burpee, not just a regular one pump, but a uh, burpees that uh, have a combination of three to four movements in them. So, yes, one thousand. You heard that correct? One thousand burpees. So, All right. it'll be live on uh, my YouTube channel, uh, Instagram channel. TikTok and facebook uh, right. facebook where, where can we find you on youtube my friend youtube look me up on can't just look up can't shake me that's it just can't shake me can't that's it.
1: shake me can't shake me on youtube all right we're looking forward to that paul thank, thank you, you for everything that you do again paul is with the can't shake me foundation if you guys wanted to look him up online he's got a lot of awesome things going where he does these crazy stunts like a thousand burpees on fremont street the guy is a nut I don't suggest that you try everything he does, but if you want some inspiration, somebody to look to to get you moving, Paul Clough, look no further. Heather, thank you for joining us today, and this will wrap up our first conversation on the Motivation Station. Thank you, everybody, for listening in. I hope you enjoyed. Tune in in two weeks for Jim Kroger. Thank you for tuning in to the Motivation Station. To learn more about the Motivation Foundation, go to motivationfoundation.org. Again, motivationfoundation.org. We thank you for tuning in to the Motivation Station. Come back again soon to hear another interesting story from our Parkinson's community.